You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Vichet Chum. Vichet is a friend of mine from the University of Evansville. He is such a talented artist and one of the warmest, most open-hearted guys that I know. I'm thrilled to have him chat here with me about pursuing a life in the arts. I hope you enjoy the sixth episode of The Compass. So glad you're over at my house. Thanks. I'm glad I'm here. Um, so what do you do to keep yourself from going to the dark side as an artist? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, mostly, um, primarily, I try to work. Um, I try to lean into um, what's scary and try to lean into working more. Um, and using my restlessness and my angst and my fears (laughs) and my anxieties to be productive. Um, being productive makes me not as scared because I feel like I can control it. Um, now that's my first response, but then there are also other things, (laughs) um, because I'm, not always so productive. Um, <laughs> uh, I try to socialize. I try to surround myself with people that I love and I care about. That's and important. Who, yeah. People who take me to, who force me to go outside and to breathe and to look around and to drink a beer and to go to a museum or to do anything besides thinking about the things that are bad (laughs) yeah um is that what the dark side looks like for you is it kind of isolating yourself and yeah getting in your head about yeah I was I've been thinking about this question I mean I feel a little guilty that I've now listened to the entire podcast (laughs) of the compass and so I feel like I've you know listened to other people's dark sides and Mm -hmm. mine's not all too different from that but I know my version of the dark side is isolation and is feeling real sorry for myself and um, choosing to not 
also being self-aware of my of um of my struggle and not wanting to burden other people with my own troubles i i i often have a problem with feeling like well i already know it's ridiculous that i feel this way um right and so i often will choose or make a choice to stay by myself so i won't have to um burden other people or or whatnot but i do find um I was totally enlightened and totally connected with Brendan's um, mm-hmm. response about once you talk about it, it actually feels less awful. Yeah. Um, and it feels less important in a lot of ways. So I've actually made more of a concerted effort to actually talk about it. So it doesn't, it's not something that is internalized within me and eats me up. Yeah. Um, that is hard though when you're aware of the fact that I shouldn't yeah. be feeling this way or I shouldn't be comparing myself or I shouldn't be oh for sure for I know sure. it's silly but I'm doing it you still feel it yeah well and that's a hard thing because I think I've I've always had a difficult ro- difficult time expressing the things that make the bad things <laughs> right you know the things that feel like and I think that's that comes from my upbringing. I think you know I've I was sort of surrounded by people who had who had been through a lot, you know, in mm-hmm. their lives, and and so there was this kind of um, expectation that what you are going through is probably not as bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that for me, I I felt guilty and bad about expressing those things but i think i think i've over in my adulthood i've sort of come to this other place where i've realized that um it is your life and it is the things that you are um reckoning with and and your fears and anxieties about your career and about your artistic life and this job this career is hella scary and Mm -hmm. and living it is 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 hard um and i think that being in new york and being out of graduate school and all that stuff has in the last couple of years i've really started to understand no you can you can own that pain (laughs) yeah you know what i mean like you can i do i do you can absolutely you have to own it to be better and to move past it you know yeah I've dealt with the same thing of feeling like oh I I'm feeling this way but you know there are there are people experiencing much 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 worse yeah circumstances yeah and sometimes that's still it's still true that you're having a hard time yeah and you and the more you just push yourself to say other people are having a worse time than you the less you're actually dealing with your own stuff and and it internalizes and it gets bigger and it gets worse um and you kind of just have to face it even if it's gross and even if it makes you feel really terribly gross you have to kind of look it in the eye and say yeah i'm feeling really stupid and dissatisfied with my career because i think 
once you talk about it and once you hear other people go through it, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm in a community of people who are going through the same thing, things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you say that you, you try to work yeah. to take yourself out of that place, yeah. how does that manifest for you? It manifests itself. I'm laughing because. Or what ways have you found to have it manifest? If you, you know, if you don't, well, ha- if you're not casting a play right then. Sure. How do you work on your own? Yeah. So you know, in graduate school, I had. Our I went to Brown, obviously, mm-hmm. and and a lot of the curriculum is um, based in this idea that um, acting is not too far from directing which is not too far from writing which is not too far from any of the jobs that you do in the creative sphere of theater and so we had to take directing and acting class directing and playwriting classes while we were doing acting classes and and I kind of (laughs) during that time I sort of brushed it off like oh I'm gonna be an actor right because that's what you think (laughs) the life is it what the life is right but I think towards the end of graduate school, I started to um, more seriously do writing and directing. And then I didn't really understand what they were talking about until I got out of school and was pushed into New York City and pushed into adulthood and pushed into looking at my career and thinking, what do I do? Like, what what should I do? What can I do? Yeah. Um, and so when it got really dark, <laughs> I mean, I, I think back to the time when I worked at this hotel, um, I worked the graveyard shifts at this hotel uh-huh. um, in the Lower East Side. It was called the Hotel East Houston. And I would work from the hours of 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Whoa. And so I would sit there all night at the front desk and just stare into space. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing more despairing as right. an artist than just having time, right? And I'm sure you weren't allowed to do anything else. Yeah, I mean, technically. Because, right. I mean, I obviously cheated a lot. <laughs> um, we were supposed to be standing at all times. We were supposed to... Uh, there was The TV was supposed to be off. We were supposed to just be present all night long. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I, what I would do is I... Back to your question. I would take out my laptop just mm-hmm. blatantly because it was like 2 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. Who's there checking yeah. out 2 a.m.? Like, on a Wednesday, nobody. <laughs> so I would pull out my laptop and just stare at like an empty Microsoft Word document and just go, what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's half of the writing. Actually, I think most of the difficulty in creating a writing is just disciplining yourself and making yourself stare at the blankness of it Mm -hmm. um and so for me i i think um working or leaning into the work it it was about it came out of my fear and it came out of my what am i about and what do i want to do um and so even now when i'm feeling pretty low and i've had some some pretty low moments um I sometimes will just open up my laptop or um, I don't know, just open up my journal or just go for a walk or 
or seek out a specific kind of movie or something Mm -hmm. just to like seek out some sort of inspiration for something. Um, And then sometimes I don't, you know, I think that I try really hard. Um, And sometimes I sit there and I just look at it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, it's like an hour and a half later and I've written like, my name is Vichachom and that's it. (laughs) But, you know, for me. But you still made the effort to put yourself in that space. Yeah. Because maybe, because maybe the more I do it, maybe something will come out of it. Um, And some, some pretty cool stuff has come out of it. Um, I have realized that in this business, in this career, it's, it, it is about figuring out what kind of work you want to do, um, and what you care about. You know, I, I think you sometimes hear that question. What is your type as an actor a lot? Um, and, and how do you, I don't know, and endorse yourself or how do you sell yourself or whatever. Right. I feel like that's a different question though. Yeah. F- yeah, for sure. And I think that the question that I've tried to hone in on is like, what is your story? Um, because I think that is more true to just like who we are as people and why we got into the arts to begin with, because we felt like there was something that we wanted to say or something that we felt was really important or propelled us to, to do this crazy ass thing. (laughs) (laughs) Something that you had to offer. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I remember being a kid and, and being really shy and not, um, not being the first person to ever talk, just like being like maybe the fourth or the fifth person, but watching what the other kids were doing and, and feeling and still feeling like I, there was so much going on inside of me that I, I needed to say something at some point, but I was going to wait it out until yeah. somebody else did. Um, and I think there's something about that that is an artist's life. You know, there's this need, there's this, there's the combination of brewing and thinking about the thing that you want to express and then getting to the moment of expressing it, you know? And I don't know. I think that that's something that I'm trying to harness and calibrate and you're circling what that is. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that part of how you've kind of found an outlet is you've been working on, like a one man show yeah. over the years. My one man show. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I think is amazing and brave. And it's something that I would love to tackle at some point. Cause I find yeah. it so scary. Yeah. Yeah. What stage are you at with that right now? Oh, it's so interesting. I actually did not expect that you were going to ask me that <laughs> question for some reason, but now it feels so obvious. Uh, <laughs> um, no, cause it's something you found by yourself yeah an outlet that you found that you could do alone yeah so or at least begin alone mm-hmm. so the show definitely started by myself um the show is about i mean it's funny that i set it up in such a in such a <laughs> way because the show is about a young ish cambodian guy who uh-huh. works at a hotel in new york city Surprise. I forgot that he yeah. worked at a hotel. Okay. Yeah. Who, um, essentially, uh, he's reckoning with his parents legacy of tragedy and survival because they survived the genocide in Cambodia and his own need to be whoever 
he's going to be, right? Um, it's not autobiographical at all. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I actually also in the play, um, the character is studying Khmer, the Cambodian language, for the first time. Okay. Um, in preparation for a trip to Cambodia for the first time. So, have you been to Cambodia? I in haven't. Your, in your I life, haven't. Okay. it is like a storm cloud, just mm. right there. Um, but the sh- show kind of began, show did begin with me going to this language intensive in Madison, Wisconsin, randomly after hmm. my second year of graduate school. Um, actually, my first year, I apologize, um, because I wanted to talk to my parents. Because <laughs> I grew up, I grew up hearing the language a lot, but my parents never pressured me to to learn it um, in a more formal way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand it okay, um, but I I had a r- real difficulty. I have a real difficulty uh, speaking it. Why Wisconsin? Was that just is so it they're only available in certain well it's <laughs> locations, so it's or? so random so my cousin attended this language intensive okay. as well but it's called the southeast asian summer institute and so basically um it's multiple southeast asian languages um at the same time um classes at the same time and so there are people around me learning thai Tag- uh, tagali um and Khmer, um, and other languages as well. Um, and so that was a really special experience for me. It was really difficult, but I started journaling a lot during mm-hmm. that time because I just knew this was like crazy. This experience was crazy right. because I was learning the language from this like six, five white guy really, who knew the language better than any other Cambodian that I had Whoa. ever met in my life. Yeah, he le- he wanted. Yeah, it was crazy. He wanted to learn the language because he fell in love with a Cambodian girl. Huh. Love. <laughs> All right. So basically, you know, I went to this language You're in intensive. the Midwest. Yeah, I'm in the Midwest. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? And I'm learning this language in a very formal way. I'm making like connections from things I've heard in my past. It's it was just such a unique experience huh. for me, and so I was journaling a ton. Um, and then my third year of graduate school, um, we had to do these solo performances, our theses or whatever, uh, theses. Um, and we had to do, I guess, 30 minutes of anything. And so I looked at these journal entries and thought, there's something here, something important. Um, and so I started writing in that way, in the kind of solo voice, um, but it wasn't until I moved to New York and really felt like the despair of being an <laughs> artist and having too much time and, right. and feeling like I wanted to do so much, but I couldn't quite figure it out. And then I had that, I had so much time at the hotel that I would, I opened up my laptop and I just wrote. Um, and so I combined that former performance with this new experience of having so much time um, and I created this crazy play um, that really helped me exercise a lot of my demons. Um, and I, so I, so I worked shop the play quite a bit, and then I did a couple of performances um, at a theater in New York. And then, 
like two, three years have passed now and I'm sort of re-examining what the mm-hmm. play is. I think I was for a long time just trying to have somebody host it, take my play and right. let me do this play because it's, it's ready to go. Um, but I realized that just recently actually that I wanted to do, I wanted to re-examine the script and I wanted to unlock different things um, and and just see what else I can do um, theatrically and um, keeping it closer to my own personal voice. I think I was, in the former iteration, I was trying really hard to get it up on its feet. Right. And I, I think now I'm trying to really kind of hone in on the truth of it. I'm sure you're in a different place three years later too. Yeah. And looking at the performances that I had and, and seeing what worked and what didn't work and seeing how much I have changed since then. Cause you know, I'm, I'm inching into my thirties and I, I certainly feel the despair is loud and clear. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) It it definitely. Time is a strange thing. Time is very strange. I saw a picture of myself when I just got out of graduate school and thought, look at that baby. <laughs> and then thought, what? That was like a couple of years ago. But I know. It, it does feel very strange to to know how quickly time feel passes. Yeah. Um, and we put, you know, we put a artificial timeline on what we imagine. Oh, for sure. The very linear ladder of our careers will be yeah. after school. Yeah, it's, it's like, really oh, interesting. I'll achieve this by this time and this by the and it'll all yeah. it'll all obviously lead to the next thing. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't. And you know, I had this unique experience of going back to the University of Evansville. Yeah. UE alma mater. Where we went to undergrad together. What what? <laughs> um yeah, I did a show out at Actors Theater, right. and then I uh, went back to talk to the students, and it was... What was that like? Fascinating, because these kids, I call them kids, wow. <laughs> but they all look like us, they all feel like us, they sound like us, there's this kind of buoyant, lovely energy about all of them that you just... You can't help but be totally charmed by. But also there's this like feeling of now years have passed since I've been in college and thinking of that responsibility to tell these people um, something important. Yeah. And something about this career. And, and you know, for a while I thought to myself that I was going to be like that old man who's like... You want to be in the business, kid? <laughs> well, sell your soul. Um, uh, but I, being there, I, I had to calibrate a little bit. Um, but I did feel this need to, to, to tell the students that the journey is not linear. And I said it in so many words, but um, I think it was really important important for me to relay that you will think that if you do A, B, and C, that this is the career or life you think you will have. Um, 
but it's sometimes not about that. And that's actually not what happens. It's about this journey feels much more about trying to figure out how to make yourself happy and finding true happiness in whatever space you're in because you can go a go from a to b to c and it won't turn out necessarily the way you you think it will go um and i don't think that's a ultimately it's not negative because it's the truth right um or at least i've been trying to convince myself of that (laughs) but i think it's it's just about being ready for the twists and the turns and the surprises and finding joy in spite of the things that are really difficult and and yes working really really hard for sure like work your ass off but also be ready for for life to just make take you somewhere else um that's so hard (laughs) in our society that so much importance is put on what do you do yeah what do you do for a living and yeah your status associated with that and i think you're right i think having the instability of that in this career path kind of makes you focus on am i happy on a more base level yeah what am i doing as a human being yeah for sure outside of owning a house and saving for retirement because we just don't have that yeah or most people don't yeah one i think sometimes you have this feeling as an artist that you're you're sort of waiting for your life to begin yeah or you're waiting for if i get this or if i get that then it's the waiting the waiting is so hard for me yeah but it's also about just making choices and being unafraid to make choices if it making choices that might prevent you from doing something else because you just can't wait for your life to start. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've really had to, had to really find out for myself because I was, oh, and I, I, I still am, you know, there's still the, this feeling of like, I'm waiting um, for certain things to work out before I can move on to this next place. Mm-hmm. But you got to live your life. It's happening. And then you look back and you go, oh, my God, holy shit. It's like five years since grad school. What? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Life is happening like right now. Yeah. You know, that's hard to actually understand in real time. It's really hard. Going back to your solo show, have you shared any of that with your family? Has your family read any of your writing or um, seen any of the readings? Uh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> has your brother? My brother has. Your brother. My brother... Who lives in New York. Yes. My brother, uh, Surya, has been... He saw the performances at the Cherry Lane Theater and he also saw my first iteration at Brown and he's been super supportive. And after, uh, the Cherry Lane performance, he asked me, or he told me, he encouraged me Mm -hmm. to share this with my parents. I think I'm really terrified of sharing it with my parents. Do they know it exists and you just, that you don't want to share it or they don't know anything? They know. So they know of it. And it's actually funny because after, 
my performance, my uh, my last performance in graduate school of this piece. Um, it's sort of this open event. It's this lovely event where all the entire school and theater and parents who are in town, it's close to graduation, uh, but not quite graduation. It's a time when everyone comes and gathers and watches these last performances. So mine was one of those last performances, and a lot of parents saw it. And then graduation followed right after. And so my parents came to town, and a lot of people were starstruck. <laughs> were They talked to them about it? They had talked to my parents about it because oh. I, in the play, I convey, I portray my parents. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, it's pretty intense stuff. It's about my parents' survivals through the genocide in Cambodia, and it's very personal. So the entire school and these other parents had already met my parents in some way. (laughs) And so when they came into town for graduation, they kept asking my parents, oh, my gosh, do you know about this piece? Why weren't you here? Blah, 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 blah. And my parents are sort of – they were dumbfounded by the whole experience because – Previously, they had not known about the play. Okay. <laughs> so it was it was a bit of a surprise. Okay. And so then I had to talk to my parents about what the play was about and whatnot. And um, I had thought about bringing them to this production um, when it was done in New York. But I don't think I'm ready yet. It scares me. Uh, I understand that. Yeah, it's, it's totally terrifying because I, I think when it's a story that is um, dealing with the truth or some of the truth, mostly the truth, and it's a theatrical venture, there's this constant struggle of, um, there's this constant struggle of being true to what happened and then also theatricalizing it in a way that makes sense. And so I had a really difficult time trying to find that balance Ultimately, I think it's very authentic, but I would worry about the experience of my parents watching it and trying to trying to navigate this experience of watching their son portray them. Right. Hopefully, and part of their story being in front of an audience. Yeah, I think it. it in an idea exists and it's fine and it seems like a great idea but i think that the actual event of having me enacting my parents in front of my parents is like whoa it's perhaps too much but i also think that that's also because i haven't totally unlocked the play completely and i think when i do feel really kind of right about the play I think there will be no question whether or not my parents can come. So it'll happen. (laughs) I think. (laughs) Staying on that topic, how have they accepted you as an actor? Bigger than that solo show, but like throughout your time being an actor, what has your family kind of made of it? Are they confused? (laughs) They're terribly confused. Yeah. I don't think they're terribly confused. I think that they're, I think they have lots of questions. I think it still stands as a mystery to them. I think like most of our parents, we think of actors as people who are on our TVs. Right. Or in our movie theaters. And any other version is kind of 
Yeah. Really? If, what? Yeah. <laughs> like the questions are always, when are you going to be in a movie? When are right. you going to be in a TV show? Because they know what that is. Exactly. And it, they relate to that. They understand that. Yeah. And that means success to them if you're going to do this thing um, called acting. And it's hard to express to them for every big, for every Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, there are a thousand more actors who are not doing that. Yeah. So, you know, I've had a hard time trying to convey what I'm doing to them. I think that they have very old school values. Mm -hmm. They want me to be an engineer and yeah. to make lots of money and oh, to, this sounds to, like my dad. <laughs> to buy a house and to have kids. And that is, that is your kind of expression of a life. And, and I think it's taken, it is still taking me time to figure out that that is, that isn't my expression of what a life should be for myself and um yeah i mean they they were totally so i went out to st louis and i did my first regional gig doing 12th night and mm -hmm. they put me up in a hotel like you're supposed to or uh, an apartment like you're supposed to do as you know sanctioned by actors equity <laughs> as our uh, like our union and um I told my parents, maybe you should come out and see me um, in the show. And my parents up to this point had not seen anything I had done in undergrad or graduate school. Really? I didn't know that. It was they the had never come to Evansville? Yeah, never. This was the first. Per they came to Evansville, but they hadn't seen, seen any performances. So the last time they had seen me perform was when I was 18 years old. Wow. And they came out to St. Louis and saw me in 12th night and they saw that I had been given a car to drive around. I'd been given an apartment. And I think that was the first time a light bulb went on. And I think they really saw me as somebody that was being supported to do this thing that right. I and respected. Called, yeah. Um, that I, that was respected enough to be given these amenities or whatnot. And so that for me was a moment where I felt like I communicated to them what this career is. And so I was, I was pretty proud of that moment. Yeah. Um, and I think they were proud as well. So it's so different from what so many of our parents do. It's so different. And to us, yeah. it's just everyone we know does it. So it's, yeah. Well, and the, the first norm, but it is. Yeah. And you get excited about the fact, Oh, I got original gig. Great. I can go out of town for a little bit and do but the it's show. It's a foreign, it's like a foreign world. Yeah. The first question is, are you going to leave your day job? And, uh -huh. and it's not as simple as that. Yeah. It's not quite black and white as they want it to be. Can you talk a little bit about your day job? that you have yeah, right now and how that's been absolutely. as an actor? Yeah, I work at this company called iTheatrics and they work with the different licensing musical theater companies and we essentially create the educational versions of musicals and uh, I got hired on just by luck, chance, <laughs> um, as a proofreader for them because um, we do a lot of writing of resources for schools to do musicals. And so I, I just came on as a proofreader, um, as an editor. 
And then I just kind of stuck around and I think we vibed really well. And um, I was able to use my education for the first time in a day job. Um, you know, I think we, that's always the struggle finding a day job that, that al- supports you or allows you to do your thing, your mm-hmm. actual work. And I've, I've wrestled with this question a lot because part of me feels like, why don't I just get a job where I can just turn off and just kind of flail my arms and just not care about it at not all, not care about it at all. And I did, I've done that before and I found it to be, I'm also somebody who really worries about wasting time and worries about not using my brain or worries about not using the education that I have, that I've earned. And so waiting tables was not going to work for me. Also, I have a really low threshold for bullshit. <laughs> so if somebody like cares about their food, I don't right. care. <laughs> Doesn't work. Um, so doing a job where I was able to use my education and it was the same vocabulary was really valuable to me. And also the company itself, the people in the company are uber supportive of me. And they know that they know where my heart is. So they understand that. And there's a kind of dance we do, which I love this dance we do (laughs) because it does allow me to continue to do what I need to do and not fret about the financial stuff as much. Right. So when you got the gig to go to Humana, they were yeah, okay they, with giving you the time off. Yeah, they That's said amazing. they said bye girl bye. <laughs> and I said okay. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was, you know, I've I've gone out of town for a couple of things and they've each time they've said okay. That's wonderful. And they've always said to me you can come back whenever you're back. And and I think that that is great as an artist in yeah. this city to have. I'm sure it has its like tedious moments and yeah. its downsides at times, but that's really wonderful. For sure. And also they have a rehearsal space, which has been so I helpful. mean, I wasn't going to mention it. But <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like I'm advertising a certain, it. <laughs> a certain production we rehearsed yes. there. It was lovely. No, truly. It's really, <laughs> I mean, as a, as somebody who auditions for whatever, it's like having a space that is a studio that you can actually focus in has been very helpful. Um, so the, the workplace has been really kind of great for me. Um, I don't think I could have done the things that I've done without them as well. So I, I value that a lot. Is there any, like when you're trying not to go to the dark side, are there mm-hmm. any tools that you turn to time and time again? books that you read or music that you listen to or places that you go there's so many places i am a wanderer of new york city i love this city and i love to hear what other people yeah are drawn to about it yeah yeah for sure i'm trying to go through my my list of of places um churches Hmm. i sit in churches a lot Um, I used to be a very spiritual person. I am still spiritual, but I think the stark contrast of 
the craziness of New York City and stepping inside a church is is a life preserver for me. Um, and you can always count on a church to be so utterly quiet. Yeah. That you can actually hear your own thoughts without having to worry about walking at the speed of traffic and and running to whatever. It's that makes me think of our how we used to have our late night meetups in the chapel at Evansville. Oh yeah. <laughs> our dead poet society. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's no, just No, but in New York City, you're right, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, it is it's a refuge and it's I wouldn't be alive if I wouldn't be able to go into a church and just sit for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I also love coffee shops. I love the kind of the feel, the idea of people communing in in these kind of social spaces and drinking a latte and eating a pastry. <laughs> I, I, there's something about it that always feels really warm to me. Have you ever read A Movable Feast no. by Hemingway? No, no, no. It's kind of like a journal of his time in Paris. Mm. Um, and he just talks about, about going to the cafes and, you know, nursing yeah. a little aperitif all day and writing and having no money and walking around and like feeding off of the architecture and the art and like Mm. rationing what food he could get. Yeah. And it makes me feel that way about cafes and coffee shops, like where they used to be. There's actually this, an um, artist's realm. Yeah. There's this one spot, the Hungarian bakery. That's what I was about to say. At a hundred and 110th in Amsterdam. Yeah. I just got introduced to it recently. Pastry shop, pastry shop, shop, yeah. 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 And it was the first coffee shop where I felt like it wasn't some sort of affect or some weird Brooklyn night coffee shop. No, that is really in that vein. Yeah, it felt like it felt very old school. It felt very a place that wasn't trying to be anything else besides what it was. There. There's an overpopulation of of tables, and and you're forced to sit with other people, and that sort of encourages mm-hmm. you to commune. And I've found that place to be really lovely. I lived on 103rd for a year, and I mm. that place was my office, as Frank yeah. used to call it. <laughs> and um, I really miss it because I'm not in that area very much anymore. Yeah. But it's bottomless coffee. Yeah. No music, no Wi-Fi, bunch of Columbia students it's studying. Great. It's the best. It's and, the best. And there's also like such a, a range of, of uh, people. Yeah. The demographic for that place is, is pretty wide. There are a lot of older people who go there mm-hmm. as well, which I, I think is really great because it feels, you know, like what a coffee shop used to be in some ways where people yeah. just like hung out and talked about ideas. <laughs> I'm you so know? glad you mentioned that place. Yeah. yeah. And parks, of course. Mm-hmm. Parks are really special to me. Um, nature, like breathing oxygen, real oxygen, is very helpful to me. Bookshops, too. Strand bookstop, bookshop. Mm-hmm. I really love the Strand, even though it's crazy in there. There is something about just like surrounding yourself with literature that is very peaceful. Yeah. So. Oh, I wanted to ask you about the group lab. The group lab, <laughs> yes. Which 
I know is a theater company that you were a part of starting yeah. with a lot of our Evansville friends, but can you talk a little bit about how you guys started it or how it's how it's been for you to have like a a theater home with other co- peers or colleagues? For sure. So, you know, the in undergrad and graduate school, you have these communities and every time you do a play, you have this community and it mm-hmm. feels so great. <laughs> and then you're ejected from that and you go, "Ah, I need people." And I think that's the joy of being a theater artist is, or uh, artist in general is that you really you feed off the connection. And so I guess it was the November, I remember this cuz it was the month of my birthday. Um the November after graduate school, um, my last year at graduate school, I just felt this impulse to gather people and say, let's sit in a room and do something. And so the first thing we did was a reading of The Seagull, uh-huh. um, Chekhov's The Seagull. And also selfishly, because I love that play and I you know, I've wanted to read it out loud mm-hmm. and play Constantine and whatnot. Um, but I really just wanted to get in a room with people and just read this play and convene. And and at first it began as a sort of bring something to the group lab and we'll read it. And we met pretty frequently and some people left and some people stuck around and the people who stuck around became the group lab. And there was no kind of guiding principle for the company. And I think that's something we all struggle with now. Mm -hmm. There are nine members and we have had many a conversation about what is the overarching theme or um, principle for work that we do and i think i think a lot of young theater companies have a certain pressure to figure that out and i think that we've sort of relieved ourselves of that pressure like i think have a niche yeah have a, niche. Or a theme or a... because also we weren't about we didn't feel a responsibility to produce we just felt a responsibility to one another and to doing the things that we wanted to do, collaborating on the things that we wanted to do. So, you know, we've done like a myriad of different things. We've worked on new plays. We've done workshops of new plays. We've done readings of those things. We've also done crazy things. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about these things, but I'm totally (laughs) going to. You know, we've thrown unbirthday parties for people. Okay. Which is like a, I guess, a specialized celebration for specific people we've done um this project called the wear project which is a storytelling based project where storytellers are invited to respond to the questions where are you from and where are you going in an original creative way and that it's crazy we're in our fifth iteration of this project and it's been sort of a just a really transcendent lovely thing that's kind of happened yeah i've loved i've loved seeing it evolve yeah it's 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 really cool and it keeps changing which is cool um and then we just did you know a a production of one of the group lab members emily kitchen's play raft um it was produced at 59 east 59th and then done at the edinburgh fringe festival in scotland 
and and so it's like it's everything's percolating and and we're we're building stuff we're working on stuff and i think what is really helpful is that we don't feel the pressure to produce we just kind of follow our impulses but you still have a sounding board like if you you have a creative home for sure to bounce ideas off of or to depend on yeah and it's great because it does feel like an artistic home we actually had a meeting last night we met Mm -hmm. at Le Pain and (laughs) we were just like drinking lattes and talking and and talking about this next square project and also just checking in and making sure everybody was okay and I think that you talk about the dark side you know it's having people that you can do that around a table with is so terribly necessary and yeah. and helpful um to have to know you have a home to come back to um a home of people that love you and you know that um is there anything you've seen recently that you'd like to recommend oh that's my been God. inspiring to you this is going to be ridiculous <laughs> not ridiculous it's gonna be obvious but i saw hamilton yes i saw hamilton and i lost my goddamn mind yes i cried <laughs> i cried my eyes out it was so exceptionally it's a moment no it's not even it's not a moment it's a movement it's you know for me I hope I'm not talking too much. <laughs> no, go, 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 no, go. Cause but, I am on this bandwagon with you. No, for me as a person of color, as an artist and watching a historical play about the founding of America, watching just like the beginning. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't even <laughs> ruin it for people, but seeing people of color just sort of grab hold to this really complicated history where those people are oppressed and at the same time saying, no, this is my history as an American and I'm owning it. I can't tell you how much that moved me because I feel like in this world, in this business, in this art, it often feels like there are these rules that you don't you know don't not follow yeah you you stay in line and you kind of create within your niche and you're only allowed to tell these stories exactly and it was this kind of like my heart my my bones everything just opened up because i felt like truly and i know this is so terribly idealistic but i truly felt like anything was possible in art from watching that show. Yeah. And I have told this to many people. If there is one show that you should spend money on, it is this show. It is. And I also think there's something special about watching these people who created the show do it, be at the center of the narrative. It is exceptional. It's beautiful. It's it on so many levels. It's fun. It's, so entertaining it's just breaking the mold on so many yeah so many different planes oh my god it is awesome and i'm (laughs) I'm trying to figure out when to see it again (laughs) i know i'm spoiled i already saw it twice but i want to see it more it's pretty awesome oh good 
I'm trying to think of other stuff. I, I saw the Christians recently. Oh, I haven't seen that, but I, people keep mentioning it to me. Yeah, I saw the Christians at Playwrights Horizons, and I definitely recommend that show. Um, I think we're politically in a very specific, scary time. Hmm. I don't know anything about what it's yeah. what it deals with, although obviously the title yeah tells you something. Yeah, it's you know it's about religion and it's uh-huh. about um, how we our relationship to religion and what is our relationship to religion and then our relationship to other people mm-hmm. as human beings, our interpersonal relationships and the kind of collision of those two things when you believe something so strongly within your faith and then you also have to deal with people, other people, humanity, mm-hmm. um, like what you're willing to sacrifice. Um, and I think, you know, I had an interesting conversation last night with, with uh, my friend Kyle, um, and I think he was, we had this really interesting back and forth about um, whether or not you have to be a person of some sort of religious background to be affected by the play. Um, But I think ultimately it's just about yourself in relationship to other people. I think that's ultimately what that story is about. I think it's a pretty awesome story. I gotta see it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks a lot. So glad to have you here. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.